Welcome back, everybody, to another Basement Binge episode that has taken a long time. It's, it's finally happening. I'm sitting down and recording, and now you're listening to a very special episode about the movie Your Name. Welcome. Th- th- thank you for being here. This is your first episode. If you're coming back, thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. It has taken me a long time for a lot of reasons, partially because of just busyness in my own personal life, but also because of the way that I've tried to put a lot of work additionally into this episode because I wanted to enjoy the creative process of this episode a little bit more. There's, as we're going to get into, something about this movie that I've developed a very fond attachment to, and I wanted to draw that out a little bit more than I would in a normal episode because with a podcast, you're always trying hard to constantly feed this hungry internet machine, and that urgency can overpower creative flow and the catharsis and emotional expression of creating something that that can be taken away by the urgency of the internet. So I took a lot more time to have some more creative fun on my own and hopefully make this episode that much better. So please let me know what you think. It's gonna it's a little different than any other episode. Please leave a review on podchaser.com slash the basement binge and let me know what you think, even if you didn't like it. But especially if you did, please let me know that you liked it by leaving a review. Uh, let me know what about it is that you liked. And if you could share the episode with those that you think would like it as well, that'd be extremely helpful. Now, I really want to get into this episode. One more thing about Podchaser, just really, really briefly before we start. I'll talk about this more later. But leaving a review on Podchaser, of course, helps me out, let you know what you enjoy. But also, Podchaser is doing something amazing for this entire month of April. Every review that you leave on any podcast, not just The Basement Binge, but any podcast will cause a donation of 25 cents to an amazing cause to assist the elderly community here in the U.S. through an organization called Meals on Wheels, America's Go Further Fund. Now, I'm also giving away some free stuff as like a giveaway for those reviews that you leave on the basement binge. We'll get into that later because this intro has been long enough. Long enough. But Meals on Wheels is, of all charities out there, it's one of the, the, the... Meals on Wheels is an amazing organization that is just amazing that at something as simple and free and easy as leaving a review on a podcast that you enjoyed can go towards a donation of an amazing organization that's doing a lot of good in the world. So thanks for that brief segment about Podchaser and Meals on Wheels. We're going to get into that later. Now, before we get in, I also want to mention that this is a movie that you definitely don't want ruined by spoilers. So I've kept the two cents spoiler free like I always do, but there's a little bit after that I'm going to keep spoiler free as well. Maybe have some viewing tips that can make the first experience that much better for you. But if you don't want anything ruined, I'll let you know before those come. But this is going to keep it spoiler free a little bit longer than normal. So let's get started with two cents here. Now, let me mention that this unintentional animation season has been really, really fun for me. Animation is something that was always a part of my movie experience growing up with an unwieldy amount of Disney movie consumption. And even beyond the obligatory Disney phase that just about every child goes to, I still loved animation. Avatar The Last Airbender was my favorite thing to watch outside of Drake and Josh, but who doesn't love Drake and Josh? And I've already talked about Wreck-It Ralph on the podcast, it being my favorite movie for a very, very long time, and probably still to this day being the film that I've seen the most. But even behind Wreck-It Ralph, films like Megamind was another film that I always loved. So it's interesting that I had a great love for these films and these series, but it wasn't so much that I loved animation. It wasn't the medium and the format that was drawing me to it. Just so happened that the stories I liked were animated. But I think that there was always a subconscious love for animation because as my film knowledge and experience has continued to grow, I've always felt a pull towards animation. And now I've totally developed a love and admiration for it. And I just love it altogether. 
Despite the love for the medium of animation, though, it's always taken last priority in my very, very controlled movie-watching schedule because of the podcast. But this unintentional animation season has been really fun for me because it's allowed me to indulge in the ever-growing watch list of animated films I want to watch. And not every single film that I watched I was able to include on the podcast. And even this animation season, although completely unintentional, was much longer than it was ever intended to be. But talking about animation is something that I'm going to continue to do here on The Basin Binge because I love it. And a recurring animation season, if that's something that you'd like to see when you leave a review on Podchaser, let me know. I'd love to do it. But to get back to what I was saying, while in this animation season and also just growing my film experience, discovering new films, there was a new... I've been able to discover a lot of new studios and films that I would have never discovered otherwise. And I'm totally loving it, specifically speaking about animation. But there was always one type of film that I had unspoken reservations and hesitations towards, and that's anime. Outside of Pokemon and Avatar The Last Airbender, I always thought that anime was extremely weird. Even in recent years with my brother, he got more into it and recommended me a lot of things. In addition, it just became generally more popular, specifically here in the States. And, and I tried many times. Sword Art Online, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, My Hero Academia, and many, many others that I was given to on high recommendation. And every time I'd start it, I'd get about one episode in, if that, maybe just a few minutes, and then I'd abandon it altogether, and I'd kind of just label it under air quotes. It just isn't for me. But I think that there was just things are different, and sometimes experiencing new things, if not at the right time, is difficult. And I think that it was just, I always labeled it because it was too weird or too different than what I had experienced. But as my experience with films and with high-rated films and, and growing into online film culture, I kept hearing more and more about this amazing animation studio, Studio Ghibli, which I was definitely interested in as my love for animation was growing. I even heard about this amazing director, Hao Miyazaki, and how he's like the greatest thing ever. I was still apprehensive towards it, though, because it was Japanese anime. So I finally worked up the courage right when my interest for animation was really blossoming, and I finally tried to dip my toe back into this weird format that anime is with Princess Mononoke, which completely blew my mind, understandably so, and I instantly fell in love with it. It sparked an explosive exploration into more and more of Eastern animation films and TV shows, and I've even ended up doing a few episodes on Miyazaki films, which are beautiful films and you should definitely check out if you haven't already. But despite that little segue, there was always a film in, in the back of my mind that I was scared to approach, and that's specifically your name, or Kimo no Nawa, which is a perfect time to mention that this is a Japanese film. That's its original name, but I'm going to refer to it by its English name, your name, because I'm already horrible at English. So trying to achieve correct pronunciation in another language is even harder. So if later in the episode, if I mispronounce anything in Japanese, I'm so sorry. The film is called Kimo no Nawa. That's its original name, but I'm going to refer to it by the English name, your name. Now, I came across this film when I was going to the theaters way back in 2019, and I saw a poster for Weathering With You. Weathering With You being the film the director of Your Name, Makoto Shinkai, it was his next project after Your Name. Now, Weathering With You was in the theaters right at the time I had seen Princess Mononoke for the first time, and I wanted to see Weathering With You because there was just something that drew me towards it. Maybe it was just I was discovering this new format of animation, and I wanted to experience good ones. And also my interest in the climate crisis and those types of things were growing. And I thought that Weathering With You was something that would marry those two things perfectly. I never ended up seeing it, though. That will be remedied 
with the next episode. But anyway, hearing about and discovering Weathering With You did eventually lead me to hear about your name, being that it's Bakoto Sinkai's most famous film, and he also made Weathering With You. And I'm not sure when the status of your name came into my mind. I knew about its existence, but I'm not sure when its legendary appeal and rating and appreciation that it has for online came to be. I, I've, but for some reason, I always found myself staring at the cover and poster on Letterboxd. I'd, I'd end up on the Letterboxd page for your name and I'd just stare at it, mesmerized by the beauty, wanting to understand its greatness and praise. But it w- always was a little bit too anime, as I felt that the Ghibli experiences that I had had weren't so much anime as it was just sharing a similar animation style and Japanese culture, but it was distinctly separate from, you know, a more traditional anime experience. So I just avoided watching Your Name entirely, despite the never-ending and strange draw that I had to it. And it was easy to avoid it because it was never on a streaming service, and I just hid behind the price of having to rent it, because heaven forbid I'd ever have to rent a movie. <laughs> but for some reason, the stars aligned, Weathering With You was put on HBO Max right as I was planning this unintentional animation season, and I thought, I can't see Weathering With You until I see your name, and I had a gift card to rent a movie, so I finally decided it was time to watch your name. Now, I will say that when I rented it, I wasn't thinking of like, oh, this is a film on Letterboxd that has a rating above four out of five, which is really impressive on Letterboxd. It has great reviews. It has great fan following. I knew none of that. Like, I know I had list- looked at that star rating many times on Letterboxd as I was drawn to the page constantly, but that rating wasn't something that led me towards watching the film. I, I genuinely can't explain why I had such an interest in it. I, I don't remember what drew me to it, but finally, I did. I was ready to experience it because I wanted to before Weathering With You, and I really wanted to talk about Weathering With You for the podcast. So I forked over my hard-earned rental gift card for your name, and then I let it sit there for weeks. At, when you rent a movie online, you have it for like a month before you watch it, and I almost let it expire. But the second to last day, I finally worked up the courage to watch it. I, I didn't want this rental code to go to waste. So I sat on my bed in front of my TV on my own, and I pressed play unsure of what I was finally getting myself into. And I can honestly say that nothing could have prepared me for what came next. From the second it started, I was totally engulfed. The animation and its exquisite artistry and beauty, the lighting and movement, sliding doors enthralled me. Rock music came in like a bulldozer and cranked up all the fun and energy clear to 12. It was so exhilarating, with interesting non-linear storytelling, the mystery and anticipation of it all, falling in love right along with the characters, captivated by what was flying by, what felt like lightning speed. I couldn't help but do mental cartwheels of joy. I just wanted to slow it all down to capture this feeling of awe and amazement, just total cinematic bliss for a brief moment, and it all just kept building and building and building along with the joy inside of me, all culminating in a final act that tore my poor little romantic heart to pieces and turned my tear ducts into Niagara Falls. I felt like I had somehow crawled into the screen and become part of this world, part of this emotional journey. I was right in the thick of it all. Then as the credits rolled and I was lullabied by the amazing Radwimps, while I sat there with nothing but tears, I was in awe. I loved every second of what I had just experienced. It took my entire heart and soul through a visceral experience And it was like my mind expanded and I finally understood. This is why I love animation. But I'm not even going to stop just at animation. This is why I love movies. It was quite the experience and one that I will probably never forget that probably can't be replicated. 
And the amazing thing is that I'm not alone in this. It's all over the internet, people expressing similar feelings from video essays or reaction videos all over the place, essays and blogs, write-ups on letterbox. I mean, even ticket sales are their own statement. Currently, this is the second highest grossing anime film globally at $357 million. It was number one until Demon Slayer dethroned it last year. I mean, it even surpassed Spirited Away. Even in pre preparing for this episode, there was something that just felt so larger than life about it that I couldn't tackle this episode alone. And I specifically reached out to people to get their thoughts. And I'm definitely going to get to them later in the episode. So thank you for everyone who contributed. But there have been plenty of times on this podcast that I've passionately talked about my love for a movie and defended it. The great experience that watching it is. But often, like Tron Legacy, I'm alone in that position. But what's so unique about Your Name is that same passion is just about everywhere else. As I was researching this episode, of course, the way the internet works, the, the cookie crumbs all over the place, I kept getting recommended more and more things about it. And I kept seeing more and more of that excitement, the overflowing joy that people have towards this film more and more. It's amazing because usually in my overexcitement, I stand alone. But with your name, it seems that I'm part of this amazing group that loves this film so much. This movie seems to convert people to anime. Simply put, it's an amazing film. And I've been working on this episode for a while now. And the biggest reason, in addition to the creative part that I said at the beginning, is that I've just struggled to convey how I feel. I could spend all day in a thesaurus trying to find more superlatives to describe my feelings about this film, but it would all be futile. Genuinely, I feel without words. The only thing coming close to adequately describing my emotions at all to this film is love. Simply love. I'm going to be talking about that a lot more throughout this entire podcast, but especially in Fall In. But this two cents has been really fun, but kind of long. So let me sum it up by drawing out the point in this way. Like I mentioned, having this podcast creates a very strict watch schedule for me. I have to control what movies I watch and when, and rarely ever do I allow myself to re-watch a movie, especially for the podcast. But as soon as I finished watching Your Name, I wanted to watch it again. After two days, I knew I had to see it again, and I rented it a second time without a rental code, and I had been saving it to watch just before this episode. I, I just absolutely adore this movie. I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since first sitting there and watching it. I've become totally obsessed with watching all of Makoto Shinkai's work because of it. Garden of the Words was on Netflix and is just as enjoyable, probably visually superior as well, but that's a side note. And I just gobbled that up like the very next day after watching Your Name for the first time. I haven't been able to stop thinking about Your Name since I watched it. I'm constantly listening to the score, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And what's amazing is that I listen to tons of music and tons of podcasts, and there's a constant, ever-changing, wide selection of playlists and songs that I listen to. I'm a very dynamic person when it comes to listening to music. I don't like listening to the same thing over and over again too much. But anytime that I would move away from the Your Name soundtrack, after about one or two songs or something else, I would go right back to the Your Name soundtrack, both in Japanese and in English. There's even a concert version with like a live orchestra of this film with Rad Wimps performing with the full orchestra. Only a very special, unique type of film gets that type of treatment where there's a live orchestra while you're watching the film. And even though I don't speak a lick of Japanese, watching a clip of that concert on YouTube <laughs> made me cry. I just burst into tears. And it's just the power of the score and the power that the music and this film has, but specifically the music. So what I'm trying to say is this, your name is a masterpiece. I have no shame in saying this. If I'm not thinking or doing something else, I'm probably thinking about your name. One example that 
happened a, a long time ago because this episode's taking so long to make. I had a cold. And if you listen to one of the episodes on the beautiful animated short that I posted, which you should definitely check out, I was, I was very, very miserable with this cold and I was really sick. And it was right after I watched your name for the first time. I took NyQuil one night, which if you don't know, is just a medicine that helps you overcome a cold and fever and those types of things. And it has a sleeping agent in it that helps you fall asleep. It normally knocks me out pretty quick and for like the entire night. But not this time. I took NyQuil, I was laying in bed, and I felt my body start to go through the effects of NyQuil and falling asleep. My eyes got so heavy I couldn't open them. My body was drifting into this rest that I felt like I was sinking into the bed. But my mind, which normally fades out really quick so you can fall asleep, obviously, just kept thinking about your name. Now, I'm not being hyperbolic or joking. Genuinely, I could not fall asleep that entire night because I just kept thinking about how excited I was to talk about this podcast and to watch the, the movie again. I kept myself up by pure excitement about your name, despite NyQuil doing its best to knock me out. And it was just a funny experience to feel such unrelenting excitement and joy about something. It, it's never has something captivated my heart this much. So if you haven't seen your name, watch it as fast as possible. Who cares if you have to, have to rent it? It's worth every dollar. This is not a film that you want ruined by spoilers. So see it with fresh eyes. Now, the story I will mention is t told in a nonlinear way, and it can be a bit confusing. So I, don't, so I do have some spoiler-free tips to help make that viewing experience a little bit better. But if you want absolutely no info beyond my highly excited and exaggerated two cents, now would be the time to stop listening. But before you do, please let me mention podchaser.com. Like I said, this entire month of April, any review that's over 20 characters that you leave on Podchaser is going towards an amazing cause. Now, briefly about Podchaser, they've often been compared to the IMDb of podcasting. And one of the many things that you can do on there is leave reviews on podcasts as a whole and also on each individual episode. And here at The Basement Binge, every month I have a giveaway where I give away a screen pass through Movies Anywhere to those who leave a review on Podchaser. It's podchaser.com slash basement binge. But during the month of April, to encourage leaving reviews for this amazing Reviews for Good Cause, where they're being donated to Meals on Wheels, I'm giving away five different prizes. Um, the prizes, just real briefly, is a digital code for La La Land, a digital code for Star Wars The Last Jedi, two different redemption rental codes for Fandango Now, and one monthly screen pass through Movies Anywhere. More importantly than any of that, Podchaser is donating 25 cents for every review left on Podchaser the entire month of April. So go leave reviews over 20 characters on every episode you can think of, every show, not just for The Basement Bench, but anywhere. It's going towards an amazing, amazing cause, Meals on Wheels, which is an organization that delivers meals to the elderly and disabled community. Now, just briefly, in my regular work life, I work with elderly individuals for their health insurance. And the amount of times that these individuals talk about Meals on Wheels shows me that they genuinely trust this organization. And of, out of all the organizations out there, this is one of those that is genuinely making a difference for individuals and is doing a great amount of good. You don't have to do anything. Of course, you can donate. Podchaser's donating. I'm doing my best to donate. But what you can do that doesn't cost you anything is simply leave a review. Podchaser.com slash TheBasementBinge. Leave the, please leave a review on this episode specifically. Let me know what you thought about it. Even if you don't listen for the rest because of spoilers, but definitely if you listen to the rest. So that was enough about Podchaser. Like I mentioned, we're giving away those five prizes. So please, for this entire month of April, leave those reviews. And then for the May monthly update, we'll get those prizes. Moving on to the next segment here, pick your poison. And for those of you that are staying, this still is spoiler free. I'm going to have those spoiler free 
tips in a moment, but first let's talk about Pick Your Poison, which is the rating scale here at the Basement Binge to never watch a film again, stream it, rent it, or buy it. We've talked about this many, many times. Obviously, if you can't tell already, it's to buy this film. I've now rented it twice. Not buying it would be a mistake. And this podcast has taken me so long that I have been able to have enough time to save up enough money to not just buy the Blu-ray, but buy the collective collector's version of the Blu-ray that has a beautiful case. It comes with a Rad Wimp CD, um, a booklet of screen prints. It's just an amazing thing that <laughs> when I originally thought about recording the podcast, I was just going to have to mention that I was saving up to buy it, but it's taken so long to develop that I've now been able to save with money, and now it's taking forever to ship here. It's making me very impatient. I can't wait for it to get here and to watch it again. So, Pick Your Poison, easy, easy, easy buy for me. One of the best I've ever made. Moving on to the next segment, Live Up where we're also going to talk about those spoiler-free tips. Now, I'm not sure why, but I really felt a draw towards weathering with you, like I mentioned when I went to the theater and just saw the poster. I knew nothing else about it. But eventually, it led me on to your name, and I knew that your name was highly rated on Letterboxd, but I don't remember that ever impacting my reason or desire for watching it. Maybe it was just like a subconscious knowledge I had about that. Like I said in the two cents, nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to see. I was astonished by it. Part of that is the extreme uniqueness in the limited world of U.S. cinema. I'd never been exposed to anything this distinctly Japanese from the deep culture impacting the story in addition to the nonlinear storytelling. Uh, did leave me a bit confused. But the amazing thing is that seeing Japanese tradition play a major role in the film and making it that much more personally. Surprisingly, it didn't take me out of the viewing experience at all because Makoto Shinkai is able to craft these emotions so well that you can easily follow along with the emotion and the story and not be lost or left out at all. So these spoiler-free tips are not necessary. If you don't want to hear them, skip ahead by three minutes. I'll give you a second to do that. But understanding them can make those emotion bits that much stronger, even though the emotion is the best part of the story. So here's the tips. We'll make them real quick. The first thing to know about is the red thread, also called the invisible red string of fate. It's a long, from my research, I've been able to learn that it's a long traditional Japanese folklore with the idea, as simply as I can explain it, that the two people who are meant to be with one another, meant to connect, are tied together by an invisible red thread. And that no matter what separates them, be it space, time, or circumstance, they will meet and form a union, or as it's called in the film, masubi. It's quite beautiful to think about, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I've been talking about that idea just in life, not necessarily the film, but talking about the idea and reflecting on it in my own life and with those that I love. And I'm going to talk about it a ton and fall in, of course, with spoilers, but just know when you're watching it that the red thread is there because of the imagery it, it portrays in this Japanese tradition. Other thing to know about the rice fermenting thing, there's a moment where one of the characters makes, I'm going to mispronounce this, Puchi Kimazaki, I think, which literally translates from Japanese as a mouth-chewed sake. And sake is just an alcoholic rice drink. So to make Kuchi Kimazaki, one of the characters performs a ritual and, and takes rice into her mouth, chews it, and then spits it back into a box. And saliva mixing with the chewed rice causes fermentation, turning it into sake. It's then used as part of traditions with the culture, and I would almost say religion, if it's not religion, forgive me, but my understanding that plays a part in this film as offering to it the, at the Miyamizu Shrine. That's what I understand of it. 
So that's what that is. If you were confused what it was and, and how it has significance, that's what that is. The other thing is that this is a body-swapping film. And it's tons of fun at that too, but it's a body-swapping film and it can be hard with not speaking Japanese whether you... This is a body-swapping film and it can be hard to follow along because of the ways that the body swap. Now, if this is a spoiler for you, skip ahead by a few seconds. But just so you know, when one of the characters, the man, Taki, is in the girl's body, Mitsuha, he doesn't wear a red thread in her... Well, okay, let me try and say that again. So there's two characters. There's the man, there's the boy Taki and the girl Mitsuha. When Taki is in Mitsuha's body, there is no red thread in her hair. When Mitsuha is in her own body, she wears a red thread in her hair. When Taki is in his own body, he wears a red thread on his, brace, on his arm like a bracelet. When Mitsuha is in Taki's body, there's no red thread. So just something to watch if you need to keep up with the body swapping thing. Now, one last thing to talk about sub v dub and that type of thing i don't have anything to add to that argument besides i think it's kind of pointless just watch the film whether it's a subtitle or dubbing that's a better experience for you watch it i particularly watched the dub especially because of the music being able to hear the music in the english which was translated by the original artist radwimps into english makes it just amazing um the dub is done extremely well one of the best dubs i've ever seen but the subtitle version is great as well just watch the film. However you feel comfortable watching it, just watch it. Those are your spoiler-free tips. If you don't want to hear any spoilers at all about the film, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, now is the time to completely stop watching. If you haven't seen the film, please keep listening. We're going to get into spoilers. If you're dipping out from here, please review on podchaser.com slash thebasementbench. Let's get into the spoilers. So my second time around watching it, I having a chance to watch it, I was wanting to focus a little bit more on plot and trying to understand it mainly just for the purpose of the podcast to make sure I was expressing everything popular or, or expressing everything correctly, but also just because I have this annoying mentality where I have to understand and know everything, which I don't like. But it's, it was kind of disappointing because one, nothing can compare to that first experience that I had. But second, the emotions are genuinely the best part. It's amazing that even without all the plot totally making sense to me, the non-linear storytelling, the traditions of Japanese culture and having to research them afterwards. The emotions were so strong and were moving and really the best part of the film. It never feels confusing, just a little bit mysterious. It treats you, the audience, maturely not requiring you to understand everything and not shoving it all at you, but just giving you a moment to put it together yourself. The emotions feel real, at times a bit overwhelming, but never overdone. It's, it's a realistic reaction to what's happening. And love isn't something that you can explain. It's genuinely something that you just feel. And Makoto Sinkai's ability to capture that is incredible. And not just with the film Your Name, but with the other projects I've seen from him, and especially what I'm excited to get in with Weathering With You. It's amazing that both in story and plot, Makoto Sinkai is able to perfectly capture the idea of feeling love. But not alone in that, not just in story, but also in storytelling. And it's just incredibly moving the way that he's able to use those emotions and genuinely make you a part of that journey. Before we get into the next segment, if you were confused about this film because of the non-linear storytelling, this <laughs> is a very linear, as linear and simple as possible plot explanation of the film, which feels a little bit unnecessary, but whatever, here we go anyway. Thousands of years ago, the first comet hits somewhere in Japan and creates Itamori Lake, and the town then grows around it, the lake that the crater from the comet creates. 
either a second crater or a fragment of that first crater lands, or that first comet, excuse me, lands and creates a crater where the Miyamizu sh family shrine is. The Miyamizu family is one of the, that has strong spiritual connection to Itamori, and they have a rich history, which was lost about 200 years ago in the great fire of Miyagoro. Mitsuha's grandma told her about this and her sister Yatsuha when they were making the braided cord. She said, 200 years ago, sandal maker Miyagori's bathroom caught on fire and burned down this whole area. That shrine and old documents were destroyed, and this is now at, known as the Great Fire of Miyagoro. So the meaning of the festival became unknown and only the form lived on. But even if the words are lost, tradition should be handled down. That's the important task we at Miyamizu Shrine have. So Mitsuha, as a Miyamizu, is part of this family history and a part of these traditions. Sadly, the, the intricacies and details of it were lost to the fire. So the Miyamizu family, particularly the women, have carried on this tradition without knowledge. And as part of that, continue to have these dreams and connections to other people like we see Mitsuha experiencing. Her grandma, Hituha, and her mother, Futaba, probably mispronounced both of those, they both had this experience, but it ended and soon faded away into a hazy memory for both of them. Her mother, Butabu, gets married eventually, but not to the person she had that strange dream-like connection with, but to Toshiki, who for a time helped care for the Miyamizu shrine as he married into the Miyamizu family. They ended up having two daughters together, Mitsuha and Yatsuha, but Futaba, the, their mother, gets sick and dies. Mitsuha's father leaves his two daughters and the Miyamizu shrine traditions and becomes a politician, eventually the mayor of Itamori, and the two daughters, Mitsuha and Yatsuha, end up living with her grandmother. Now, about a month before the comet flies over Japan, a few years later that we see in the film, Mitsuha is a senior in high school and she starts to have weird dreams about a Tokyo boy's life. But what is actually happening is that it's not a dream. She is switching bodies with a real boy in Tokyo, and his name is Taki. But beyond that, they aren't just switching bodies. It's also a change in time. Mitsuha is in 2013, and Taki is living three years later in 2016. They catch on eventually to what is happening, not the time part of it, but the switching bodies part of it, and start to keep journals for each other and also start to build a bond and a friendship. While all of this is happening... One of the times when Mitsuha is in her own body, she performs a ritual for the Miyamizu Shrine, the one where she makes Kuchikimizaki, which is mouth-chewed sake that I talked about earlier, sake being an alcoholic rice drink. She makes Kimukimizaki. This is the scene where we see Mitsuha taking rice, putting it into her mouth, chewing it, and spinning it back in a box to give time to ferment and become Kumukimizaki sake. Now, one of these days later, when Taki is in Mitsuha's body, when they've switched, he goes with the grandmother Hitua and the younger sister Yatsuha to the Miyomizu shrine. They travel there on foot and they take the seik or the Kuchikimizaki that was made and leave it to the gods as part of the tradition, leaving part of themselves behind, which is, I think is a beautiful way of doing it. It is genuinely part of themselves that they leave to the gods at the Miyomizu shrine. Now, eventually, Mitsuha, in her own body, decides to go and visit Taki in Tokyo. This happens to be two days before the comet is planned to come. She sees Taki on a train in Tokyo, but because it's in her timeline in 2013, not his in 2016, he doesn't know her yet. He hasn't started to experience the swaps like she has. 
She does tell him her name is Mitsuha and throws him her red braided cord from her hair. She goes back to Itamori and as part of her sadness, asks her grandma to cut her hair, which I found out in my research is a traditional Japanese sign of ending a relationship with someone. The next day, the day of the comet, she goes to the festival with her friends. She shows a blade because she probably cut her hair and then spent some time at home. Very, very sad. Eventually, the day later, she goes with her friends to the festival. The comet flies overhead, splits, and lands in Itamori and destroys the town, killing hundreds, including Mitsuha. Three years later, in 2016, Taki starts to have those body swaps. At first, he thinks it's a dream, but then realizing that it's a body swap. But remember, again, that this is transversing time as well. Taki is in Tokyo in 2016, but when he swaps, he goes back to 2013 in Mitsuha's body in Itamori, and vice versa. One night, the switching stops. Suddenly, after the event that I described earlier, where, Mitsu, where Taki in Mitsuha's body goes to the Miyamizu shrine and leaves the sake, he goes back to his own body. It's the night that Mitsuha had told him in his journal that he would be able to see the comet, but he's he doesn't see it, and then he's also unable to reach her on a cell phone. It happens to be that that night is also night he's on a date with one of his co-workers, Miki Okudera, which was one of the relationships that Mitsuha had kind of developed for him with the times when she was swapping into his body. After all of this, after the date ends, he finally decides to go and find Mitsuha because the swapping has stopped, but he doesn't know where she lives. He only has the drawings of the town that he's made from his memory in the swapping as his guide to find it. He goes with his friends Shinta and Miki Okudera, the one who he had gone on date with earlier. He goes with him and travels. Eventually, he learns that this is Itamori. After much, many people not knowing where it is, he finds out it's Itamori and learns of the events of the comet and that that town was destroyed and that hundreds died. Somehow, he realizes that the persons he was switching with is in the past, and he soon sees, as he learns this, the journal entries in his phone fade away. In an attempt to reconnect with Mitsuha and save her from this comet, he remembers the Miyamizu shrine and the sake that he left there in Mitsuha's body. His two friends, Miki Okadera and Shitai, go back to Tokyo, but he remains there and travels to the Miyamizu shrine and eventually drinks Mitsuha's sake. When he drinks it, he has a vision of her life in the most beautiful 2D animation I've probably ever seen. Something that couldn't happen without animation. But anyway, he then wakes up in the past, in 2013, as Mitsuha, the day before the common, or the day the common is coming, and rushes to school with the new short hair to make a plan to save the town from the comet. Because again, this is Taki with knowledge in Mitsuha's body. So Taki in Mitsuha's body makes a plan with her two friends, Katsuhiko and Sayaka, to evacuate everyone to the high school, which is away from the blast zone. The, their plan is to blow up a power plant, which will cause a power outage for the town of Itamori, and use a backup generator to broadcast a signal from the high school over the emergency PA system into town and pretty much make an explanation that there's an unknown explosion that wildfires are spreading that they all should evacuate to the high school. As part of this, Taki in Mitsuha's body, as part of this plan, Mitsuha, who's actually Taki in her body, has to go and convince her dad, who has since left her and is now the mayor, about the comet and to back the emergency broadcast because without ta Town Hall verifying the emergency broadcast, people are not going to listen. So while this is all going on, while the two friends 
Katsuhiku and Sayaka are working out their parts of the plan, Taki in Mitsuha's body goes back to the Miyamizu shrine to see if Mitsuha is there in his body. When they, which she is, Mitsuha wakes up in Taki's body, lying in the Miyamizu shrine in the year 2016 and climbs to the top of the crater in the Miyamizu shrine and sees the destruction of the comet and that Idmori as a town is ruined. They run around on top of the Miyamizu shrine mountain looking for one another but unable to see another because they are three years apart. But they hear each other. There's a small connection there. Right at the perfect time, magic hour comes as the sun is setting and they switch back to their own bodies and see each other for the first time in their own bodies. Again, this is the most spectacular animation that I've ever seen. It's just a beautiful scene that I could talk about forever. Also highly emotional. The two of them, like I said, finally meet. It's adorable. It's very, very cute. Taki gives back the red thread that he's been wearing on his wrist as a bracelet for the past three years that Mitsuha gave him when she came to Tokyo and he didn't know her that we explained earlier. He gives it back to her, which severs the connection that they had. And they promise not to forget each one another. And in an effort to do this, they plan to write each other's names on their hands to never forget. Taki writes on Mitsuha's hands, but right as Mitsuha starts to write on his hand, magic hour ends and the marker drops and there's just one line on his hand and it is just a gut punch of a cut. Amazing filmmaking. Taki is devastated and immediately starts panicking, trying to remember Mitsuha, but also immediately forgetting her name as he gave back the red thread and their connection is now severed. But we stay with Mitsuha in 2013 with this new knowledge that she gained from, from Taki and runs back to Itamori to her friends to see the plan play out and to save the town from the comet. And I have to say that the scene of her and Katsuhiku on the scooter riding down this circling hill is just beautiful and emotional and the music is amazing and it makes me cry every time and I just, I it's an, it's an amazing, amazing scene and I can't even explain, I'm even an emotional thing about it. It's an amazing scene and I can't explain why that one particular one just gets me out of so many. But things go as planned with the explosion of the power plant, the power outage happening and the broadcast from the high school going through. But the conversation that Taki in Mitsuha's body had with her father to convince her or to convince him, the mayor, to back the emergency broadcast doesn't go well. They cause the power outages, like I mentioned. They successfully broadcast, but people aren't listening and Town Hall is trying to stop the broadcast because they are not supporting it. Sayaka is caught at the high school and the broadcast eventually stops. But just in the nick of time, Mitsuha is able to show up in her own body this time and convince her father to listen. And he continues the emergency broadcasts and everyone evacuates to the high school and many people are saved from the comment, which eventually does come crashing down, but they're at the high school out of the crash zone. Now, while Mitsuha, previous to the comment landing and all this, Mitsuha is running around to get back to her father to convince him and to save the town and she's already having a hard time remembering Taki's name she's forgetting about him and she's trying to remember him she's very emotional she's in a hurry and, which I gotta say just great writing if you want to make things that much more emotional and great tense give it a, a, a time expiration date and, and a comment coming in the fate of it all just makes it all so much more powerful anyway she's feeling emotional she's forgetting Taki's name and she trips and falls and sees the writing on her hand that he wrote his name on her hand but instead of the name Taki he writes the words I love you and the tears pour out of everyone both Mitsuha and us watching and she cannot remember his name but just sees that someone 
loves her. Five years from this time and the people of Itamori being saved from the comet by Mitsuha's and Taki's efforts, they are saved. Five years from that point pass, it's now eight years from the comet crash in Itamori town and Taki is living in Tokyo, as is Mitsuha. Taki is trying to get a job as an architect. His two friends, Shinta and Tsuakasa, I think, are having better luck than him. And Miki Okadera, who Taki went on the date with and she traveled with him to Itamori, comes to visit him as she's in Tokyo for work. They meet on the bridge where their last date ended. Turns out that she is married, and the two of them reminisce shortly about the time they drove all the way out to Itamori. Taki then, through narration, explains a strange draw he felt towards the town and the common, and to con- continues to express a longing for something that he is missing, a dream he is waking up from, or something he can't quite remember. As part of this narration, we see him on a train, and Mitsuha looks over and sees him. The two of them, through opposite trains' windows, see each other and immediately have a reaction. But being on different trains, they're taken in different directions, and immediately, with beautiful music, the hunt to find one another begins searching everywhere. Eventually, they meet each other on a set of stairs. They walk past each other as they're shy and nervous, and eventually, with strong emotions, ask each other if they know one another and express that they both felt like they did. And as the movie ends, in unison, they say, can I ask you your name? And Radwimp starts the most beautiful song you'll ever hear. And you just ball your eyeballs out at that point. And that's all you have left to do, but to feel joy and love. Oh, even just talking about it. Uh, Like I mentioned, that's not how the events are portrayed in order in the film. It's all non-linearly. And it's interesting to find out that the writer-director, Makoto Shinkai, personally finds the film to be incomplete and unbalanced due to time and budget constraints. And maybe when you break down the plot like this and the the points of it, and some things having to be more inferred and pieced together with only like small moments than others, I I can kind of understand that. But despite this plot analysis and Makoto Shinkai's own feelings about the film, it still remains incredibly powerful and moving because of the ability to convey it all through emotion, right? That's what's carrying you through it. I didn't re- recognize the thing about the, the the Miyagora fire burning down until my second time around. I didn't notice that that had to do with traditions. I honestly didn't even understand the Miyamizu shrine to traditions. I thought it was something that was just like, like just generically Japanese and not personal to the family. I didn't understand the Kimu Kimizaki or the Seik. The timetable was kind of confusing and a lot of the time I was confused who was in each other's body, but the emotion of it all, the feeling of longing, the feeling of love and the feeling of hope, I was 100% there for. So did it live up to my expectations? Yeah, it totally blew me out of the water. More than anything else, did I, n- nothing could have prepared me for this, this amazing film. So that was a really long live up segment. All these segments are kind of long. Let's move on to the next segment, binge points. Now, I want to talk about the score a bunch. Makoto Shinkai, who is a huge fan of Radwimps, immediately requested for them to do the score as soon as the film production was confirmed. Now, to quote one of the best things I've ever heard where a Disney producer for Tron Legacy was speaking about Daft Punk, that's just great casting. And it genuinely is. The score matches this film perfectly. The, the, the tone and style that Rad Wimps has, both in the lyrical songs, but also the traditional score type songs, just match the feeling of this movie so and the story so perfectly. And the score actually took about a year and a half to create. The five band members of Radwimps would actually divide up the tracks 
for scoring and would work on it at home on their own. They would come together for the vocal lyrical songs, but for the more traditional score songs, they would break it up and write individually, which is something that they had never done before, and it works out really well. They were actually working on the score while the animation was still happening, and they only had the, the writing and notes from the director and also a storyboard. So each thing influenced each other and changed each other from the music changing the animation and the animation changing the music. It was, it was real amazing. They were involved in translating and performing the songs in English and both versions, both English and Japanese are amazing to listen to. And the English version, which makes sense to my English listening ears, have beautiful lyrics and, and poetic expression of this feeling of love for another individual. It's just amazing, amazing, beautiful music. And even the non-lyrical songs are just, I've listened to them nonstop. They're, they're relaxing and just beautiful to listen to. So one awesome aspect of the score affecting the actual animation of the film is with the example in an interview that director Makoto Shinkai mentioned in the segment of the body swapping montage near the beginning of the film. Now, it normally was just going to be a communication that they had by taking notes on their phone, but after hearing the upbeat rock song of Zen Zen Zen's, he adjusted to match it and inspired to have the characters write them themselves, and it elevates the scene so much more. In his words, through translator, he said, and if it wasn't for the need to match the visuals with this very up-tempo beat, I don't think that scene would have turned out the way it did, which is just awesome to think about. Other amazing things to think about with Binge Points is the animation, the way, the way that they use traditional 2D animation, which I'm a huge fan of, obviously, I've mentioned that many times, CG animation, and also rotoscoping to combine just unparalleled reflections and lighting and deepness, depth of field, shallow depth of field, distance, uh, similar feelings you would get with different focal lengths, camera placement and camera movement, the way that the camera was able to feel more a part of it as an animated film is amazing. It, it, there's such amazing color and imagery, and it's all just animated and just beautiful to watch. It, it, it's just amazing and mixed together perfectly, especially with the backgrounds. Some other great things with this animation is the that I was not surprised to, to realize that who was involved through the animation directors and the actual animators. I'm very impressed with their work and want to follow more. But I did realize that two, that, that one of the key animation directors, Masashi Ando, was a previously Studio Ghibli member. In addition to one of the key animators, Naoki Kamohara, he was a key animator specifically for the Kimu Kimizaki sake scene. I'm sure I said it wrong again. But he was also previously part of the Studio Ghibli team. Now, one thing about the animation that I really loved is the way that the body moves very feminine, the way Taki's body moves very femininely when Mitsuha is in his body, and the way that they sit and react to things. Just great animation to, and, and detail, attention to detail to make these things so much better. Now, on the note of attention to details, there's so much in this film. I've already mentioned the one where they're only wearing the red thread in specific ways on their own body or when they're in their own body, because obviously they're only going to know about those personal accessories when they're themselves. Great attention to detail. Other things, the calendar in their phones have different years. Now, I don't read Japanese. I Someone else mentioned this, but they're different days of the week, but the same dates, and they have different years. Now, something else is amazing is that the knowledge and technicalities like I mentioned of the Miyamizu shrine and traditions are lost, and you can tell that the the tradition 
is the fo- has a focus on connection of fate and and even a comet and the way that it all plays out throughout the entire film but also how the lost knowledge all you have left is is the physical acts of the tradition and, and how real that feels other great details is the names of the family for example Mitsuha's grammar grandma's name is Hitua which means one leaf their mother Futaba means two leaves. Mitsuha's name means three leaves. And Yatsuha is four leaves. That's just so adorable. Other fun details is the detail in naming the restaurant where Tahi works. It's called, I'm going to mispronounce this, Il Giradino del Perol, which is Italian for the Garden of Words, which Makoto Sinkai's previous film was called The Garden of Words. And it's amazing. You should watch it, which translates to the same thing. The other fun thing from his previous film, The Garden of Words, is that the teacher who's teaching Japanese in Mitsuha's school is Mrs. Yuki. Or The other fun thing from The Gardens of Words is that the teacher who teaches classical Japanese at Mitsuha's high school, Mrs. Yuki, is Yukara Yukino, the female character from Makoto Sinkai's previous film, Garden of Words, as well. So fun details that make this film that much more. Fun details that make this film that much more fun to watch. But I wanted to get back to the animation. When you watch this again, which you definitely should do, pay attention to the use of background and the way that it creates scale and always elevates the importance or the emotion of each given moment. It's such a creative and inventive use of 2D animation and the way that things look and being able to use it in a new way to further illustrate the emotion is just very, very powerful. So those are all the binge points. Moving on to the next segment, lease and likes. Now... Obviously, I just enjoy this entire thing. There is not a single moment in this film that I could say anything negative about. I love the entire thing. I could watch on repeat. So instead of just me sitting here talking about about all the reasons that I love it, I reached out to people to get their thoughts. So thank you so much for everybody who contributed. The places that you can see their work that I will mention are going to be linked in the show notes. Of, po- of course, thank you so much for everyone who responded when I reached out. Now, the first person who I reached out to is someone who I've come to love on Letterboxd, and their Letterboxd account is BabyGroot15. Now, I'm just going to refer to them as BabyGroot. BabyGroot, she said, This film really hits hard because what if I did forget everyone I loved? And how that would be so devastating. And with that, I can relate to this film in that way. And if you don't hold on to it tight, you could wake up and it will all be gone. Those thoughts of people you loved vanished. That's sad to even think about because I love my family more than anything. And to just think that I could forget them is so sad. Treasure the experience. Dreams fade away after you wake up. This quote is one that stands out to me personally because you can take so many things for granted. And they can fade in a sense. I'm just trying to say that it may not always be with you. You know what I mean, I think. So you need to cherish the things while you have it, whether it be a loved one or, or even your house. I'm just saying that I need to cherish what I have before I don't have it anymore. With films, you can take a plot line that's not something super big and turn it into something extraordinary. Like, okay, two people switching bodies. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But with your name, they take that and make it just a beautiful film. With characters and the animation and even more. The characters are obviously a big part of the film, and if you don't do them right then the film would fall short. And I personally don't like perfect characters. I love characters that have their flaws because you can relate to them more. If they are like a real human and not this perfect character that would never be real, obviously the story wouldn't happen in real life, but these characters maybe could be people. This film may have its flaws, but honestly, after watching it four times, which I think is now up to six times, I don't see them. I truly think that this is a perfect film. Now, some comments that I got um, when I posted a review on Letterboxd asking for people's thoughts 
Somic said, I haven't seen it yet, though, but I can say for certain that a large portion of the viewers literally cried a bucket while watching it. Can't wait to see it myself. You are 100% right. Bring a bucket and some tissues. Now, Holmes commented on my review. He said, I don't know how to get into this stuff, so I'm just going to say it here. This film is my favorite film of all times because of how much I relate to it. The theme of not wanting to forget about the people you love resonates with me because I'm in high school right now, and every day I fear about what will happen when I leave. Why forget my friends? Will they forget me? I worry about these things a lot. Also, I resonate with with the characters. I love every character in this film because of how cute and enjoyable they are. I also respect this film for taking a silly concept and executing it basically flawlessly. This is the best version of Switching Bodies cliche because it's able to tell a compelling love story with it and do new things with it. And finally, the animation is perfect. So many beautiful scenes in this film make this the best animated film I've ever seen. I love this film so much that I literally bought it for $14.99 so I can watch it again and again. I can go on for hours, but long story short, this film was perfect in my eyes. I'm with you there, Holmes. And I love what Holmes had to say, so I just <laughs> went and plagiarized his review from Letterboxd where he said, I'm so happy I rewatched it because now I can fully explain why it's my number one favorite film of all time. Technically, it is perfect. Animation, soundtrack, it's all just perfect. But I already talked about that, so now I'm going to talk about why it emotionally impacts me. I'm afraid every day that I will grow up and forget everyone I love, that they will be a memory, and that is it. Your name takes these ideas and excels at them. The magic hour scene may be my favorite movie scene of all time. It perfectly encapsulates how much I love this film. The fear of forgetting someone you love is basically the main theme of this film. If you want to look at it as some dumb love story, you can, but for me it's more than that. This film uses its silly concept and does what it wanders with it. This film uses its silly concept and does wonders with it. Those are my favorite types of films. When you take a silly or off-the-wall concept and you're able to make something like this. That is brilliant. The ending is still my favorite movie ending of all time. The soundtrack is actually amazing and I do not get the hate for it at all. The two main leads are enjoyable and cute. I cannot stop gushing about this masterpiece. Six out of five. Favorite film of all time. Thank you for those of you who contributed. I can't agree with you anymore. And it's fun to be able to hear and read other thoughts on the podcast. So if you want to do that... You can send me an email. The next films I'm going to be reviewing are obviously Weathering With You and My Neighbor Totoro. And then a little bit after that, the Mission Impossible's films, bingebasement at gmail.com, also in the show notes. Or you can follow me on Letterboxd, Harry Perry 13 also in the show notes. I'll be giving you a chance to comment on there as well. So let's get into the very, very last segment, which is going to be a difficult one to talk about. I'm probably going to cry. Now, before I get into my specific things, I directly wanted to talk to Holmes and Baby Groot and what they had to say, but mainly Holmes. And I will say, and kind of just the idea about forgetting things or people that you love. Now, I will say that everyone's experience is going to differ. This is mine. I can only speak about my own experience, and it's not meant to be sad or discouraging, but just honest and probably hopeful as well. Of course, other people's experiences will vary. My experience is that people move in and out of your life a lot. Those that remain in your life the ones are the ones that you maintain a connection with. For example, my wife, Daisha, and I were friends in high school. I'll get more into that in a minute when I talk about my own personal fall-in, but there was a lot of opportunity that that one specific relationship could have ended. But I made a connection with her, she made a connection with me, and we both worked to maintain it. And now we're, we've been married for three years and we've known each other for seven. Other people have different experiences where they still talk to tons of friends in high school. I don't talk to many people that I knew in high school besides my wife and two other people. But that's because people maintain different connections with different people. On this TV show that my wife and I love that we binge watch all the time, Survivor, if you haven't heard of it, look it up, it's awesome. There's this 
on season 32, there was a player whose name is Ty. Now, something about Survivor is that this, these aren't characters. These are just, it's like a reality show. It's a, it's a game. They're competing against these other real people. So Ty, who's just this lovable little man, uh, he's played Survivor multiple times in his very, very first season, said it perfectly. I believe in goodness and humanity. I believe in, you know, kindness. You know, it's who I am. You know, Vietnamese have uh, this proverb say, Đời như luộc buồn, trôi sông. It's like, life is, it's like water hyacinth plant. Each one of us is a water hyacinth plant flowing on water. And somehow the survival season brought 18 of us together. And some people we cling on tightly and wind and wave blow us apart like Scott and I. However strong I want to hold on to Scott, I couldn't. But it's like life, it's like people float along the same path for a while and then for whatever reason you will never see each other again and then have great memory together. That's all I can ask for. And I just love the way he said that. If through his accent, if you weren't able to hear him, I'll repeat the the highlights. The Vietnamese, the Vietnamese have this proverb that about a water hyacinth plant. They say that life is like a water hyacinth. Each of us is a water hyacinth plant floating on the water. Some people we cling on tightly, and wind and wave blow us apart. It's like life. People float along the same path for a while, and then for whatever reason, you'll never see each other again, and then you have these great memories together. That moment's even better in the context of that season of Survivor and in that moment, but it would take to forever to explain Survivor to those of you who don't know. So again, check it out. It's awesome. My wife and I watch it all the time. But more importantly, what Ty said is true. And, and I don't mean to be discouraging or depressing to anyone who has these fears, particularly Holmes and Baby Groot, the two of you who are in high school. There's a lot of continually flowing along that same path. Maybe when you switch schools, if you did, or when you graduate grades, but for the most part, a lot of you in that community, in your grade, are traveling along the same path for a while. And eventually, for different reasons, you separate. That's how life is like. There are many, many people in my life who I'd love to be more connected with. And sadly, I'm just not. And there's probably some part that is due to my lack of effort in maintaining those connections. But there's also just changes in life that constantly happen. You move to different places, you go on experience in different things, and those connections end and you create new ones. There's many examples of this in my life. For example, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life is two of the Christmases in my family, we decided to go to Mexico. We live here in the States. We decided to go to Mexico with this charity organization called Builders Without Borders, where you go to Mexico and you build homes for individuals who need it desperately. And we've been able to do it twice. And both times, one time, the, the second time I ended up going with my family, my wife, Deja, who was at my time, the fiance, I proposed to her Christmas day. And then later that day, we left to Mexico together with my family. It was a crazy time. Anyway, coming back from Mexico, it always just rips part of me away. And I like to say that part of my heart is in, New Me is in Mexico. Because those are people, the people, the other Americans who come with us to build the homes and the Mexicans who we meet, those are people that I just, after that week 
over Christmas, I, I don't see again. I, I don't speak Spanish. I'm sure I could through heavy effort, but it's really kind of impossible to maintain a relationship with those Mexicans who we build a home for. We're not able to communicate, but we build an instant love in sh- working together with them and for them and serving them. And, and when you leave, it's just so sad, right? That's a little bit more of an extreme example. But even with graduating high school, there's so much of people who I just were everything to me and I don't talk to them anymore. And being around them is really awkward. And it's kind of funny. My wife and I joke about it that these people who just meant everything to us aren't here anymore. And the now there's different people who mean everything to us. And I'm sure that's going to change even more when we have kids. And I'm not saying this to say that you can't maintain those relationships because my wife has maintained way more relationships with high school friends than I have. And I have other people who were in a high school group that are still together that I'm not a part of. So maybe it's my own fault, but everyone's track experience is going to differ. But what I mean to say is that life is continually changing. There's an ebb and flow. And those whom you have a connection with are those that will remain. It, and it's perfectly illustrated in your name, the way that Mitsuha and Taki are drawn towards together in, in unexplainable, mysterious ways. And that you can see through the film that Mika Okudera could have had a relationship with Taki and clearly they did and clearly they had a friendship and enjoyed each other. Even the friendship that Taki and Mitsuha have with their high school friends. Uh, Mitsuha's two high school friends at the end of the film are ended up getting married. Obviously that relationship maintained, but I'm sure that from that point on, Mitsuha's relationship with them is forever going to be different. And I'm sure that Taki's friends, if he continues this relationship with Misuha, is going to be way different. And obviously his relationship with Miss Okudera is very different. So things are constantly changing. And, and the good news is that those in your life who you want to be a part of it will. And, and that's an amazing thing. Is it's, it's kind of up to you. Now, give me a second to get into what I have to say here. And a lot of it has to do with the red thread and the connection between two people that I've been unable to stop contemplating and thinking about and even talking with other people about. Even though they haven't seen the film, they don't understand, I just kind of present the idea to them. And the idea of a masubi or a union. What was really interesting is about a week ago, I was talking to my dad. He randomly called me on the phone um, and he was saying, talking about my wife and I, he said, I think the two of you were destined and bound to be with each other. And I have no idea why he called us to say that. But I feel that that was true. And even just a few days ago, my wife and I, we went to go visit two of our friends who actually you guys know, Cade. He, well, actually, some of you might know, longtime listeners of the podcast will know Cade. He is a great friend of mine. We knew each other in high school. And we met our wives together. This is, this is just crazy to me just to illustrate what I'm getting at here. Okay, let let me tell you how I met my wife. So Kate and I, we were great friends in high school. Where we live, there's a water park. It's called Seven Peaks. We had a a season pass to it. We'd go every year. We'd go to the water park all the time. And and something else as well is that all four of us, me and Kate and our two wives, we're all religious and we're all part of the same religion, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as part of that, one of the things that we chose to do in in our worship of this religion is to serve a church service mission for men in the church. You leave to a different place for two years, 24 months. And for women, you leave to a different place for 18 months. 
not necessarily a huge force of religion on anyone who's listening to this, but just an explanation of what's happened in my life. So, so Kate and I, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. Kate and I, we would go to Seven Peaks all the time. Cade had finished high school. It was a summer. I was about to start my senior year. And in three days, he was leaving on a mission, meaning that he was going to Washington for two years and I wasn't going to see him. He doesn't have, he, you don't have a traditional cell phone. You don't maintain contact with the people from your home besides a weekly email or handwritten letters. It's, it's a very intentionally and temporary seclusion from all things except for church service. And it's an amazing experience. And I totally love that I have that. But anyway, it's just important to know the dynamics of how drastically a relationship changed. It's not like they're going on a vacation for a few weeks. Like it's two years where the communication and relationship is completely severed. So he's about to leave to Washington. I'm about to start my senior year with no friends. We're at Seven Peaks three days before he's leaving. And all summer we'd been telling ourselves, we got to talk to girls. We got to talk to girls. And we never did because we were shy and embarrassed. And this one last time we finally, we, we saw our wives, they were together. They were there at Seven Peaks together. We finally worked up the courage to talk to them. It didn't work. They talked to us. Long story short, we connected. We connected at Seven Peaks, a water park of all places, which was abnormal for all four of us to do. Like we, that wasn't something we did, but the four of us connected and it was weird. Three days later, Cade leaves for two years and has to stop talking to all of us. At different high school, me and now these two girls become friends and we have a great friendship over our senior year, even though we're going to different high schools. By this time, Kate has been out for one of the two years where he's going to be gone. And we are leaving on missions. I traveled to New Mexico on the Navajo Native American Reservation and spend two years there. My wife, she travels to Puerto Rico and spend 18 months there. Obviously, we're not married at the time. (laughs) Um, Where I'm 18, she's 19. We go to different places and Sammy, Cade's wife, is left on her own. A year later, Cade returns home two weeks before Sammy is leaving to Florida for 18 months for her mission. And the connection is, and the communication is severely weakened. All this to say, it was nuts that after what was a total of three years from the time we met at Seven Peaks to the time that all of us came home from our church service, we're both married. They now have a daughter. She's adorable. She was born a few weeks ago. She's adorable. We've been married for three years. Seven years ago, we met under the most obscene circumstances. And like I said earlier, those opportunities for that relationship to end is where we separated for two years and that communication ended. And it was a choice to maintain that relationship. So so what does this have to do with anything? Why am I bringing this up? Because I believe in what my dad said. I believe that there was a connection that Daisha and I, my wife, were supposed to have. I believe that there's a connection that Cade, my friend, and his wife, Sammy, were supposed to have. And the crazy circumstances where the four of us would meet each other at a water park and somehow maintain a friendship over seven years, despite us being separated and not being able to talk to each other for three years, is crazy. You don't hear about that because things like that don't normally happen. And and I think that it's amazing to think that there's people out there that we're destined to connect with, destined to meet. But one of the things that I've always hated about romance movies that my wife loves to watch is the ending, the stupid happy montage, as I call it, where under crazy circumstances, they go through this crazy thing, they're meant to be, and they live happily ever after, and we get this silly music as it rolls the credits. It always felt really flat that like, 
oh, you know, you just got to find your person and you're good to go. I, I don't think that. In the seven years that we knew each other, in the four years that we knew each other before we got married, there was a lot of work. Even in the three years of marriage, there's tons of work. Love is hard work. It takes two people to love each other and to be invested in one another. And one of the reasons that I love your name is because you have both sides of it. You have the powerful, unexplainable connection that draws you towards someone. Choosing to pursue that, choosing to act on it despite the difficulties, whether it be time, space, or circumstance, to create a unity is powerful. And that's a never ending journey of connection and work. And I just, we, like I mentioned, we went over to Sammy's and Kate's house, the other couple who now have a kid. And we thought, what are the chances that seven years ago we would meet at a water park of all places and that we'd end up getting married, you guys would end up having a kid and we'd still be friends. Clearly there was something that was drawing us together. But I also believe that there is something that I call opposition in all things, that when there's something good, something bad usually rises up to oppose it. And in this connection, there's definitely forces, whether it be personal weakness or timing and moving to different places in church service or, or work or military or, or whatever. There's things that pull those connections apart in life. And it's a choice to maintain them. There are people romantically, platonically, who you are meant to be with. And if you choose, you can have a relationship and a masubi or a union forever. And I believe that love and hard work are the best happy ending montage. And one of the moments that it feels so gratifying when Taki and Mitsuha meet on the stairs and ask each other their name is because you know that there's something that's been drawing together. There was something that caused their bodies to swap and caused them to have a connection in the first place. And then after that, even when they forgot each other's names, there was something that still drew them towards each other. But it was an active part that they had to choose to achieve it. Taki had to travel all the way to Itamori. Mitsuha had to travel to Tokyo. They had to keep track on each other's phones and understand this crazy body swap thing. They had to chase each other down in Tokyo when they saw each other on a train. M Mitsuha and Taki had to plan a survival plan from a comet. If that's not opposition, tell me what is. It, it is work and it is so rewarding. And I... And words can express that because love isn't something that you can explain. It's something that you feel. And the idea of a red thread and a masubi, if I'm even saying that right, is something that I will never forget. And the ability for an animated film from Japan that I probably never would have seen to convey those ideas and move me to the point where I've really contemplated the work that I'm putting in in this connection to my wife. It's... This is a stupid word to throw around and I hate when people use it unnecessarily, but it is kind of life-changing. It makes you appreciate what you have. It makes you appreciate your opportunity to have so much through your work by what is out there for you in the world through destiny or whatever it may be. There's, there's no stupid happily ever ending montage. There's a rewarding and gratifying hard earned 
rightfully won happy ending. And hopefully Radwimps is there playing along and we'll all ball our eyeballs out and sharing it together. This film is perfect and it's a masterpiece and I'm so glad I got to review it. Instead of listening to me, you should have just watched it. It's so good. So if you haven't seen it and you've listened all the way along, please go watch the movie. If you have seen it, watch it again. And also please review, leave a review on podchaser.com. Let me know what you think of the thought of this podcast. In addition to donating to an amazing cause through your review and also having a chance to win one of those five prizes that I mentioned. Thank you for being here through this long awaited and now very long episode. Thank you for those who contributed. Again, if you want to contribute to Weathering With You, my neighbor Totoro, or even Mission Possible, send me an email, connect with me on Letterboxd. I'm very, very excited to see Weathering With You, but I I think that going forward, not just for animated films, but films in general, it's going to be hard to top your name. I can confidently say, and this is a gem for those of you that stay till the very end, this is my new favorite film of all time, and probably will be for the rest of my life. I can't wait... I'm patiently, I'm very impatiently waiting for the Blu-ray to arrive to watch it with my wife for both of us to cry our eyeballs out together. It's an amazing film. So glad I got to watch it. Thank you for listening to The Basement Binge. This is a long episode. It's been a long time coming. It's finally here. Please leave a review on podchaser.com slash The Basement Binge. My name is Harrison. That is all for now. Ciao, ciao.